Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clue series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help visionary business leaders to grow their companies through attracting and retaining top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and biking business partner. Well, maybe not so much in the winter, but throughout the summer, Al McDonald. Al, how's your day going? Another great podcast Friday, as we like to call it here. And uh, it's been a great day so far in, in terms of our guests and, and had some great conversations. So looking forward to wrapping it up. And I was, I was just telling our next guest that we've, uh, we've saved the best to last. So, uh, you know, pressure's on. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so today's guest is Bill Wallace. And uh, we met Bill through our good friend, Virgil Macera over at Routes Transport. And Bill, I got to tell you, I only have one regret about that first meeting and that is we didn't hit record on that first conversation and just turned it into an amazing <laughs> so as al said the pressure's on to duplicate that so but nevertheless you're here uh-huh. now and we're really excited to have you this show so welcome to the show thank you very much it's uh, good to be here to share some ideas and uh, just chat a little bit almost like a fireside chat cherry in here too yes that's how we <laughs> like to do it on this Yes. Okay. So Bill, yeah. let's let's jump into it. Can you perhaps outline just for our listeners your business and and what the application is in the industry? It's a complicated way of explaining it, but we are in the, the food industry in, in one of the business units within uh, Roots Transportation Group International. Uh, the food chain is very important, of course, uh, to everyone. And I find that uh, when we did our market research uh, eight, nine years ago, it was um, a good idea to find out what the industry is looking for. Uh, what is it in need of? You know, we did our research very well to find out that what the food chain is lacking is a basically one-stop uh, ability to have a company that will handle products coming into the country, clearing them through customs and Canadian Food Inspection Agency and warehousing, and then doing multi-distribution across uh, the country. So what we do um, is bring food from the United States, and for that matter, from around the world into Canada, And then we have a network of distribution uh, across Canada, reaching from Vancouver Island to uh, Newfoundland and all the points in between, Um, mostly for the fast food industry, to be honest with you. Um, But the fast food industry is very demanding. It's, are you ready for it? Hand to mouth all the time. Um, (laughs) What we had to do, though, (laughs) so one of the jokes I, I have from time to time when I'm talking to the major fast food industry um, in, in Canada's welcome to the hand to mouth club. But in any case, what we, we had to do in our uh, business unit is look at defining three specific big, uh, business units, one for transportation and road, uh, one for warehousing and distribution, and another one for international travel around the world. So we have three specific uh, business units and we support 
the fast food and the grocery industry across Canada. So hopefully that was a, a one minute dissertation of what we do, but mostly in the food industry. But we do have other accounts, if we want to call it, in the automotive industry, uh, in the chemical industry, and in, are you ready for this, the cosmetic industry. Interesting. So would you, would you guys be responsible for, uh, maybe I won't name, just in case I won't name the little, my little favorite coffee, I, I call it the Canadian uh, coffee restaurant, uh, everybody knows. And, uh, you know, I get yeah. that little breakfast yeah. uh, sandwich with the sausage on it. Is that, uh, is that thanks yeah. to you guys? Yeah. That's uh, basically it. If you uh, have one of those breakfast sandwiches on Vancouver Island or uh, Newfoundland or anywhere in between, you have actually done business with us. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I, th- I think that the area that is really uh, a good topic to discuss, not just what we do and how we do it, is how did we get to this point? And how do you change a mindset within a company that is basically only doing dry freight and oversized freight and so on? And I think that is something that I'd like to elaborate on a little bit if I could. That'd be all right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we had the, the pleasure and the benefit of uh, talking to you about this a little bit earlier. And that was uh, a really interesting part of the conversation. So yes, by all means, you know, you have to go ahead and talk about uh, some of the culture changes that, that you had to undergo. Well, you have to be a little lucky. And I was lucky to be surrounded by some very open-minded uh, team members, both in the executive staff and, and otherwise, open-minded to what is it that we can do different and how can we do it better than anyone else. So the bottom line of it is if you look at inside your company, every company has a culture of some sort. And that's important to put your finger on it and say, what is our culture? What is it we do and how do we do it? And how do we feel about doing it? What I found in, in our company was that the culture had to be changed slightly to allow everyone to benefit from their own abilities. So how we did that is I, I coined a, a slogan and it caught on very, very quickly. And that slogan was, well, you don't want to be a order taker. You want to be a solution provider. And that kind of grew into, we don't take orders. We provide solutions to our clients. So each individual then in our company became a little bit of an entrepreneur in their own little way. Instead of just taking an order for a, a movement of freight, they wanted to know more about it. They wanted to, to know where it came from, how much is behind it and where it's going to go. So we had to change that culture of thinking and it, it happened slowly. And then it, it almost like an annuity, it, it grew on itself. So the first thing we had to do was find out what, what the marketplace was looking for. And then we had to look at internally as to what we had to do to change our attitude and our culture. And it was very, very quickly done because we kept on it from the management or the senior ownership all the way down. We kept on the theory that we don't want to be order takers. We want to be solution providers. One-stop shopping, you want to call it that, fair enough. And this grew because the American suppliers in the United States did not want to do brick and mortar in Canada. So they were looking for people that would be solution providers. And that's where we stepped up to the table. And that's how we've grown so quickly to be a national supplier in the fast food industry initially. Uh, so it really it uh, talks a lot about the people in our company, but the leadership in our company was more, the direction was coming down from the top down and it worked very well in changing people's opinions on being one skid or one shipment to what else can we do to make this thing uh, happen. 
So we evolved into this three business units, and then we rebranded ourselves so that we would look more of a uh, top-grade visionary company. And it uh, has done us very well in talking to corporate accounts around the world, actually. Bill, you're talking about growth, especially in the uh, fast food industry. Maybe let's talk about what drives uh, your business growth. Is it internal or external initiatives? It's both, actually, because if you talk about changing your culture to be an entrepreneurial approach individually, in other words, people are no longer order takers or solution providers, and the initiatives come from inside. And I don't think there's a, I would say a week, but it's more like a day goes by that someone in the company hasn't come up with a, a better idea or a good idea, or why aren't we doing this or why aren't we doing that? Because they see the benefit to the company. And one of the things that, you know, is uh, I remember giving a speech to a, an American company, a very, very large transportation company a few years ago, and um, they were stumbling around with the word profit. Okay. People thought that profit was a dirty word. You know, why should we make money? I stood on this podium and I said to them, profit is not a dirty word. And I got to, I got to prove to you that in your heart of hearts, you want us all to be profitable. If the company is profitable, our incomes are, are protected. Uh, if the company is profitable, uh, your pensions, you want to buy that new boat or you want to send your, your young people to uh, college or university, that's protected if your employer is profitable. If it's not, everything is in jeopardy. And there's a stimulation right there to becoming an entrepreneur. That speech went on for quite some time. And it was, uh, you know, a Canadian talking to an American group. It was quite interesting how it was received at the end. So the initiatives come from inside. And let's talk about outside. I call them the internal and external client. The clients outside, once you prove that you can do something well, they will always have something more for you to do down the road. And clients talk to other clients and other suppliers. So our initiatives are, what else can we do for you? And we do this on, uh, believe it or not, weekly conference calls. We have a breakout team that actually contacts our corporate accounts across the nation, Canada, the United States, and talks to them every week on a programmed conference call. And it talks about where we are, what issues we had last week, and what issues we may have next week if we don't deal with them right this moment. And it's some of them are only five to 10 minutes and some of them go on for half an hour. Believe it or not, we reach out. So our growth has come from our internal entrepreneurial approach or want to be a solution provider. And then also our external clients who see the benefit of continuing to talk to us about new markets because every account of ours has salesmen out on the road and they're making calls trying to get new business. And that's good for us because if they get new business and we've proven ourselves, then their initiatives are our initiatives. I like the fact that you actually get on the phone with your clients and, and listen. And it's a common theme I'm beginning, I'm beginning to hear. And we heard it on an earlier podcast that we recorded. And, you know, it sounds like that would just be an automatic. And, and I, was, I was chatting about a lot of people in my field, and I see it with other companies. They're saying they're a solution provider, and they're coming to the market with solutions that they think this will be great for the client. But the, at the end of the day, the best solution for the client is them telling you, this is exactly what I need. So it's really interesting to hear that you're proactively reaching out to clients saying, how else can we help you? And I'm sure some of those conversations are, hey, I've got this pain point. I don't know if you guys can solve it, but if you could, this would be really helpful to me. 
it's interesting what comes out of those conversations. Now they are scripted. I have to admit that. I call it script. It's more of an agenda and the agenda doesn't change. Okay. The agenda uh, runs from a point A, B, C, D, E, and F, and then a round table discussion at the end and have a nice weekend if it's a Friday, but it is scripted and we never break the script. We always make sure that we cover all the categories that we want to, and then it's a round table uh, discussion, but you would be amazed. And I will give you one example of someone on a conference call said, do you do air freight? because we have a big challenge. And it was uh, quite an interesting air freight actually, and I'll, I'll run through it very quickly. Consolidate food products in Edmonton, Alberta, drive them 1400 kilometers north to Yellowknife, put them into two airplanes every Saturday, every Sunday, and fly them to Baffin Island. Because you have 800 miners on the island, and they have three meals a day, and we have to be the food chain to them. And they couldn't figure out a way to actually do it on a consistent basis because, and here it is, the big thing on the, the conference call was, now keep in mind, Bill, that it is frozen food. It is uh, ambient, uh, which is basically um, dry freight, and it's cooler. It's all those three categories that have to move at the same time. And you're going straight up to Yellowknife where it's minus 50 degrees. So you think about the logistics behind it and the technology behind making that happen on time to meet two aircraft every week, because you know how expensive the aircrafts are. If you, you miss the aircraft by two hours, you're in trouble, right? So that's an external initiative that became a growth pattern for us by keeping these scripted conference calls going. And our corporate accounts look forward to them. They bring new people on, they introduce them to us, we do the same to them. So it's a, a partnership. I hate beating that word to death, but it becomes a stronger partnership all the way through the system. I wanna just relate one thing about partnership and family and all the rest of it, if I could. Internal customers, we haven't really talked a lot about that. And this is something that is, is difficult to translate, but easy to see it happen. If you're someone in accounting in a company, and a salesman asks you to do something, like, could you give me a report? It's all, okay, I'll get to it. But if you, you look at this salesman as being your customer, it works a lot faster. You have to supply a service to your internal customer and your external customer. And maybe one day we can talk a lot more about that aspect of the, the change of culture within the company. Well, you, you hit on something and I did want to swing back a little bit because you did mention that one of the things that you used to change the culture was trying to get everyone to think a little bit more as, as an entrepreneur, like kind of getting everyone in that mindset. I'm going to bet that there were some people that struggled with that and then others that embraced it. I'm going to have a follow-up question as well, but do you, like, can you just talk a little bit about that? Like, how did, how did you deal with that? Because that's, that's a big mindset change for a lot of people. It is a mindset change. And some people's mindsets cannot be changed. But we had town hall meetings where we actually had everyone on our video conference, which was really a lot of fun, by the way. And we talked about what the company needs, all right? We set some goals. And those goals were, were reported back to them every month. So they knew what was going on. So if I said to you as a dispatcher, I'll give you a rough idea. We're trying to get five more dollars of shipment, all right? So you have 40 dispatchers, maybe five of them would bite in, the rest of them wouldn't. But the, the very next month, we reported back on how we were doing, how much did we do, so the growth. So if you, you 
ask someone or you challenge somebody, but they have no way of knowing where they sit on that uh, pecking order, they're lost. They'll just let it go. They want to know that they want to be part of something too. Okay. It's part of the culture. And that's part of that internal customer aspect where at uh, Roots, it's, it's like a family. And it's, it's hard to believe how, how tight the group is because of the leadership of the company. It is a very tight-knit uh, family. But if to get back to your, your question, if you have a situation where the mindset has to be changed, you will always have those who will not buy into it. But if you get more than 50% of them, you win. You win every time. And eventually the other 50% may partially participate, but you have to keep it going. And the way you do that is through information. Show them that we have been successful. Everyone likes to be part of success. They don't like to be sitting in the bleachers all the time watching the show go on. Hopefully that answers the question. As you were talking about getting people to buy in, and I may butcher this quote, but I think it was Yogi Berra that said, your job as a manager when you, you come onto a new baseball team is a third of the players are going to love you. A third of the players are going to hate you. And uh, your job is to get the other third to join the third that love you. Because yes. some people are never going to buy in. But as long as you get that majority, you know, moving in the right direction, then you're okay. So <laughs> I was reminded of that when you uh, when you were talking about that. It's momentum. And, and the way that you you can get them into the momentum is the scoreboard. Okay, did we win the game and how did we win it? Are we being successful last month and how did we get there? And people start to buy in by the pure fact that they're sitting close to other dispatchers who are buying in. It doesn't mean we're going to have 100% of the time. No. Okay, absolutely not. But it does mean the majority will join in if properly managed and the information flow back to them is accurate and it's consistent and it's timely. If you can get those three issues together, three points together, I think you do very, very well in any type of program you run. So, Bill, maybe talk about maybe you've been through all this. What are some accomplishments that you can point to that you're proud of? Within the last eight years, and then maybe go a little bit further back into some of my history and so on, some of the accomplishments, my personal accomplishments that makes me smile at night. I want to go to bed. The accomplishments within the company that I feel are really worthwhile smiling about is that eight years ago, when we started to change the culture within the company, we were an unknown factor in the food industry. And now we're a leader in the industry because of the people in our company, because of their ability to be able to change gears midstream, learn more about being an entrepreneur individually and being a solution provider. And that, when I walk by and hear by the doors of meetings, I hear the word solution being used more often than, than the word no, then I know we're, we're, we've been successful. In my uh, 45 years in the transportation industry, I've had some great opportunities to give back to the community. So what we've done is we've started a network about five years ago of working with the food uh, suppliers across Canada and the United States. Years ago, if uh, food was improperly packaged, I'll give you an example, a turkey is put into uh, bag A instead of bag B, and then it's uh, blast frozen, you can't get the package off of it, then that turkey is basically useless in the marketplace. And it could very well have ended up in a dumpster. Okay. So we started as a company in the food industry connecting dots. And what I mean by that is connecting a food supplier to the needy 
and uh, in 2019, we connected enough dots to be able to supply 371,000 meals in the province of Ontario to 52 food banks. So that is an accomplishment that it wasn't just on my shoulders. It was that entrepreneurial approach within our company to ask the questions of our suppliers. So that's a pretty nice accomplishment to, to say that we're able to give back, but also help the suppliers who were taking their products, unfortunately, to landfill, now have a, an avenue to move it to the food banks in the country. And we do this not only in Ontario, we do it in Alberta and uh, British Columbia. Uh, and it's a, a nice way to say that we're giving back to our country and so on. The biggest accomplishment I've ever done, and we have kind of a smile about that. I think we talked, chatted about what I was involved with John Lennon many years ago. Yeah. And that was a challenge and somewhat funny, but that could do a whole podcast itself as to knowing that you're headstrong and you want to accomplish anything and you won't give up, you'll end up being successful. I don't know if we have the time to actually go into the nitty gritties of that, but that was an interesting uh, story. And from that accomplishment, I was uh, given a fellow at the Royal Society for the Arts and Science in London, England by Prince Philip before he passed away, unfortunately. So the accomplishments and challenges and all the rest, those are the things that sit in my mind more than the fact that we made a lot of jobs for a lot of people too amongst all those years. Bill, I wouldn't mind if you did share that story. Uh, I've heard okay. it and I think I would agree. I, I left I left that meeting thinking just that's that's such an incredible story. So if you wouldn't mind, I know, I know our audience would love to hear it too. All right. It goes back several decades ago when I was a young fellow with not a lot of gray hair, but I have a lot of gray hair now. And I was sitting in my office and I had a phone call from a person. This is when, before I was in transportation, so you know how many years ago it was. I was in broadcasting and uh, someone called me and said, you know, with all your communications abilities and broadcast stations across the nation, you should be able to do something for the starving in Bangladesh. It was a challenge. And I think it's, it's inbred into me. If you challenge me, I'm going to make all I can to make it work. So I went to our station manager and I said, you know, here's an idea. We could do something. It's coming up to Christmas. Why don't we collect money? We'll buy food and somehow we'll get it to uh, Bangladesh. And uh, he said, well, go ahead. Try your best. Well, the campaign went extremely well. And I was very young back then. and couldn't really connect all the dots like I do now. The beginning, the middle, the end. Take a look at it before you start. And so we, we collected a lot of money and I didn't know what to do with it all. So I, I called Ottawa, High Commissioner for DACA. Uh, I think it was DACA. Bangladesh, and um, asked a simple question, what can we do with the money? And he said, well, call Robin Hood Mills in Toronto. They, they produce a product that we can use. So I did. I called them. They said, yeah, we can do it. It's like a bag flour and you mix water with it. And it's really not too high in sugar. <laughs> but in any case, we started funneling money through to them and they started building pallets and pallets and pallets of freight. You'll see how this connects to transportation in just a minute. <laughs> So I did all of that, but I wasn't thinking, okay, once we get all the freight, all of the, the product together, what, how are we going to get it to the other side of the world? But I thought, you know, being cocky and arrogant, which I was very much <laughs> back in those days, I just called the Minister of National Defense and asked him if I could borrow one of his airplanes and fly this all over. And um, he said, well, we'll get back to you, which, of course, back in the Pierre Elliott Trudeau days, 
was not a good idea because you said, no, we're not going to do it because we do it for you. We're going to have to do it for everyone. Well, they shouldn't have said that because that's like challenging the whole project. So I ended up going on national CBC television and saying how our government has let us down. And the next morning I got a call from BOAC, British Airways, who said that they would be happy to take some of the product, put it into each plane going to London, England. At least we can get it partway there. So I said, great, I'll get a truck. <laughs> so I opened up the phone book and ran my finger down. The first transportation company was a company called Direct Winners Miller Brown. And I called uh, the local terminal and asked him for the president's name and telephone number, which he wanted to know is he in trouble, you know? So he gave it to me and I called the president of the company and told him, he said, I saw it on national television and I'm not licensed to go on the airport. Here's the company that can. And if he doesn't do it, then it gives me the right to go on. So I'm trying to shorten the story down, but you'll enjoy the end of it. So the transportation company I called said, no, we'll do it. We're not going to let Carl Laurier get the, the fanfare for this. So we started moving the, the trucks from Robin Hood Mills over to the airport and filling the planes as they left for London, England. So we got all the food over there, <laughs> didn't connect the dots again, and came to a point of um, now what? And I went on national television again, trying to find a way that we could get them from London, England to uh, DACA. Uh, and there was quite a bit of discussion about it and the government. I had phone calls from the government now saying, well, I'm sorry we couldn't, but maybe some of our... Our associates uh, in England can help. And then the telephone rang. And there was this gentleman with a very thick English accent on the other side of it. And I'll stop there because I had no idea that BOAC, British Airways, had taken the story and done their own national coverage of it in London, England. So here's this very heavy British accent individual asking me how much would it cost to charter plane to fly from London, England to its final destination. I said, I have no idea, but please don't play with me if this is a joke. And he said, just imagine that it's happened. Just imagine that it's going to happen. Imagine it's happened because we're all one world. I said, okay, I will get the number. He said, I'll call you back. So the next day I got the number from BOAC and the phone rang and there's this very thick British accent. And he said, did you find it? And I said, yes, I have. And he says, imagine it's happened. What's the number? And the very next day, that man wired me the total amount to charter the airplane. And that, that man reportedly was John Lennon. And we flew that stretch DC-8 all the way from London, England to its final destination and it supplied food. It took a year to actually distribute the amount of food. We didn't connect all the dots at the beginning, but we did at the end. And that's how shortly thereafter, somebody from Direct Winners, Miller Brown, called me and said, you know, you're wasting your time at, in broadcasting. You should go to transportation. <laughs> Amazing. I enjoyed hearing it just as much the second time as I did the first. So I know <laughs> I know people are going to love that. And, and I love that he told you just to imagine it happening. That's incredible. Imagine. Kind of give, giving you that little hint. <laughs> That little hint in between it and uh, the uh, CNCP telecommunications, we got a telegram, of course, with the money attached to it. it, had a couple, one or two lines of the song Imagine. Of course, it meant nothing to us back then. All we thought was this guy's a poet of some sort. And then as the weeks went on, the general manager, who's passed away by now, he basically started to connect the dots in his own mind and we figured out who it is. And uh, yeah, it was John Lennon who paid for that plane. Uh, to get the food to the starving. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can have accomplishments in your job. And, you know, making money is one thing, and that's important. Profitability is important in a company. And knowing that you should give back also. 
however that uh, can be. Now, I'm not trying to be a philosopher of any sort, but you know, we, we think about uh, what we do in our own jobs every day and what is it that we can do in the future to help society, humanity, whatever you want to uh, say it is. There is one saying that I keep flashing whenever there's a catastrophe and in the transportation industry like it is right now with what's going on in western canada mm -hmm. with the road slides and everything else the road closures and the, the staff or the team members will ask me you know they'll get upset about the whole situation i say you can't change the past you can only change the future so we should always have plan b and that's what's made us successful this week because we've always had our plan b and we're helping the food industry right now, being innovative and thinking outside the box to be able to keep food moving from Eastern Canada, getting it prepared in Calgary, and then bringing it from the United States up into British Columbia. And it's thinking outside the box, but thinking through the eyes of your client. Might add one more story. Do we have time? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. I went to a conference uh, one time. This is kind of motivational too, in Kent uh, State University. And uh, I was sitting in this amphitheater and there's probably a hundred other people there for this uh, talk. And this, this man starts to move on to the stage and he's being helped by another uh, gentleman and he brings him up to the podium. And while he's doing that, this great announcer's voice comes on and says, today, we introduce you to Mr. Well, I forget his name, to be honest with you. And just to give you some background, this gentleman has been the number one Remax salesman in Los Angeles for the last 10 years. Doesn't mean anything to me. Most Remax salesmen are pretty good. <laughs> Pause, he said, and he has been blind since birth. You think about that for a moment. And the whole presentation was looking and seeing through the eyes of your client. And when you do that, you'll be successful. Wow. That's very, very cool. I want to go back a bit because you were talking about, you know, even instilling that within the team, instead of being an order taker, being more of an entrepreneurial spirit, being a solution provider. And it, from just speaking with you a couple of times and listening to, you know, to your talk today, it seems that you're very good at finding solutions. It seems to me you're one of those people that sees an obstacle as an opportunity. So maybe talk to us a little bit about what are the biggest obstacles in your industry right now and, and, and perhaps as we move forward into the future? There are many, and I'll, I'll pick two out, but both of them are, can be overcome very quickly through open minds. The first one is technology and the speed of technology within the transportation industry, but also within the food industry. It's moving quickly. The demands on the transportation industry is to keep rates low or cost low, but also reinvent the wheel by investing in, in, in technology. So the growth of technology in the Canadian transportation industry and the U.S. too is a challenge for everyone. Keep the cost down to our, our clients, but also spend a lot of money on, on the technology and uh, making sure that we are being competitive with our services. Uh, technology, meaning an example would be tracking and tracing 24 hours a day, seven days a week there is a high propensity of hijacking of trailers, especially in the food industry. Right as soon as COVID-19 hit, food became a high item for um, 
hijacking. So we had to have the technology, and we do to this very day, to be able to track our trailers to wherever they are, um, both in Canada and the United States. And even the flights going from Yellowknife to uh, Baffin Island, the product has a tracker on it, so we know where the plane is. Even <laughs> So if it goes down, we know where the, the food is. So the technology right now is the, most, uh, the biggest challenge uh, to reinvest into it. The other is actually a bigger one, but one that's going to take a lot, a lot more uh, ingenuity. And, and that is our green gas exposure, carbon into the atmosphere. A couple of years ago, I made a presentation to the Toronto full city council, and it was passed unanimously as to their support for us to be able to look at having the federal government supply to the food industry, government purchased reefer containers to be used on the rail. So the second big challenge we have is starting uh, out with uh, trying to reduce our, our pollution to the air as we move our freight across the country. An example would be that if you use rail containers, intermodal containers, for instance, tonight, if the rail were open completely across into British Columbia, one train would leave with 100 cars on it, 100 flatbed cars containing 400 reefer containers. You just have to think about it for a moment to move the equivalent of that volume. You need 400 trucks leaving Toronto tonight for Vancouver. That's a lot of pollution. Okay. And we could spend another podcast on reviewing exactly what the pollution is, but we're stuck with it. And we have to reinvent the wheel and start thinking outside. Intermodal containers do not cut jobs, they make jobs. It does cut all of the pollution that goes into what's happening now to our weather and so on. Okay. It actually makes jobs. If you think of how a, a tractor trailer leaves Toronto with one driver on it, or possibly two, and drives all the way to Vancouver. And I can prove to you that I can double the number of jobs by using intermodal. And we have to look at that. Uh, back in the early 60s and into the 70s, the wheat industry in Canada was being hit very hard because they couldn't get their product to market. There wasn't enough hopper cars. So the government stepped in and bought, I think it was around 3,500 hopper cars and split them equally between CN and CP rail. They gave them to them free of charge, but they made a demand that the food moves first before anything else. And to this very day, that is why the wheat industry has grown. And that's why we're number one supplier in the world of wheat, because they were able to get capacity to move their product to market at a cheap rate. And I think that's what we have to do right now for our food industry. One last little note, our food production in the Golden Horseshoe in the Toronto area is the second largest in North America. And most people will challenge me on that, but I can show it to you in black and white. The first one is Los Angeles, who have an intermodal system that feeds all of the United States. And here we sit in Ontario, the second largest producer. Producer meaning, don't think that we're growing it. You take a, a product, you do something with it, you put it into a package and you ship it out across Western Canada or to Western Canada or to the world. So we're not producing the food. We're not uh, cattle herders here in, in the Hamilton or Toronto area, but we produce something from the food the chain and move it out across the, the country. So we're the second largest one in North America. We have a, a ability to be able to change uh, things by thinking outside the box again. That's uh, some really great insight, Bill and 
I don't know about Robin, but I I definitely learned a few things here, and I love your stories too. I think we could probably we could probably carry on and just uh, listen to a, a bunch more of your stories today, be entertained as well. <laughs> Robin asked me last time to talk about. I said, and one last little story. After being on the road for the number of years, I was in a plane crash one time, and we should tell a story about that one time. But that's a a funny story. It's nothing more than how you look at life when someone tells you. We're going to crash <laughs> in our little corporate jet. But I'll leave you with this one little byline for it is I learned how to mix vodka martinis in my mouth. <laughs> and you would too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Bill, before we let you go and, and wrap up, because this has been fantastic. I feel like we could go for the rest of the afternoon. I'd love to. The word on the street, talking to our friends like Virgil, you have a favorite saying. Maybe just uh, share that with us before we wrap up. I have so many of them. I don't know which one Virgil was saying. I think he's <laughs> relating to the fact that you are not in any way, shape, or form an order taker. You're a solution provider. And I think that's the big one. It doesn't matter what business you're in. You could be in banking. But don't take an order as a teller, being a solution provider for senior citizens, you know, who come to your bank and so on. In the automotive industry, be a solution provider. There's a lot of ways that you can do it. And I think that's the one he he likes the most for me. But there is one other big one that I've used in corporate meetings and everyone gets a chuckle out of it. And I, I go back about 25 years ago when there was a president of a company and I was in a board meeting. I was on the board of directors. And those are the days when we used to smoke inside the rooms. If you can imagine smoking and the air would be blue with smoke and ashtrays all the way up the middle of the boardroom table. How disgusting did that sound now? <laughs> Anyways, he, before he started the meeting, he took the cigarette out of his mouth and he pushed it into the ashtray. I'll remember this the rest of my life. And he looked down the table and he knocked on the table. Everyone came to silence. He said, gentlemen, talk is cheap. Scotch is expensive, but action is what counts. So get to it. And he turned around, walked out. He left it to us to, to figure out what was going on. So I always remember that, that action is what counts. A lot of talk, a little bit of scotch. There you go. Too true. And that is a perfect place for us to wrap up. Thanks so much for joining us today. And I'm really glad that Virgil put us in touch with each other because I enjoyed meeting you for the first time and I've enjoyed chatting again here. And and I know our audience is going to enjoy it too. So thanks so much for sharing your your journey. If people want to reach out and have more questions about yourself or what you're doing at Roots Transport, what's the best way to get in touch? The fastest way is through email because I carry it in my hip pocket 24-7, literally 24-7-365. So take a pen and it's B- Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, at rootstransport.com. Please drop me a line. I'd love to hear from anyone. And maybe next time we'll just talk about salesman stories. Love it. Love it. All right. That does it for today's episode. Man, I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Ah, I've said it before, success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one.